Well, I'm so glad that you're all here this morning. I'm excited to be here with you. And we are looking at 2 John together. So if you'd like to turn there with me, please, this morning. Book of 2 John. And I just want you to think with me this morning as we begin to look through the text and we uh, consider all that it has to offer us this morning. We'll be looking uh, at verses 4 through 7 together. But I just want you to be thinking about this. What is the point of the Christian life? It seems like such a basic question, doesn't it? And we should all be able to answer that. I just wonder if we would all answer it the same. What do you think? Probably not. What is the point of the Christian life? Why are we here this morning? Why have faith at all? And if I do have faith in Christ, what am I supposed to do with this faith? What does it look like for me? What does it look like for my family? What does it look like for previous generations? What did it look like for the first century Christians? What does it look like for me today? What is the point of the Christian life? Maybe we can think of it in two ways. First, is it primarily something we believe? Or is it primarily something we do? That's two different schools of thought there, isn't it? Is the Christian life primarily something we believe or is it primarily something we do? Is Christianity about right beliefs or right behaviors? Let's just think about that together. I want to look at our text this morning. Let's begin in verse 4, 2 John verse 4. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, if you were with us last week, or if you possibly caught up with us online, we began this letter together, and and we went all through 1 John together uh, from beginning to end, and we just came right into 2 John, and And uh, we have something written to a dear lady this morning. And uh, uh, who is this dear lady that he's writing to? Well, he's writing to uh, a church or a collection of churches, referring to the churches collectively as this dear lady and her children. This dear lady and her children is the church and the believers that, that, that were found there. And so automatically we kind of sense his affection for the church, don't we? Do you notice that? Did you pick up on it when you're reading all of this? Did that kind of come over from 1 John as well? John is a guy who is very affectionate, isn't he? And uh, he's writing differently than Paul writes, doesn't he? He's he's writing differently uh, than Peter writes. He is, uh, I I think, a guy that that we would really like to be around. Uh, not just because he was an apostle of Christ, but because he actually represented the love of Christ so well for God's people. And that's inspiring to us, isn't it? It should be. That we want to be the kind of person that represents the love of God well, the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. 
Remember that John was the one that was reclining next to the Savior and he laid his, his head on the chest of the Savior and, and uh, he was the one whom Jesus loved. So John felt this affection from the Savior in so many ways and now he is being affectionate towards God's people. And we feel it, don't we? We actually feel his affection for us. For all, because we know that it's not just the believers at that time that John had affection for, right? Didn't we kind of talk about that last week? Is that there is this church universal and then there is the church local, local manifestations of the universal church of Christ. And the universal church of Christ is not bound to a particular time in history, is it? But no, it's, it's believers of all time. And John is saying that all believers love all believers. Of what time period? Well, of all time periods, should we have known them, we would love them. We would have affection for them, right? And that's really his point, is that we have love for all the believers wherever they are and whenever they are. And so John's affection for the church is affection effectively for us. If John was alive today, believe me, he would have had this affection for you and for me and for our church. And so when he would write, he would write to the dear lady here, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he wants only those things which are best for us, which gives glory to Jesus Christ. He wants that for you, and he wants that for me. He wants that for God's church. And so, he says, I rejoiced greatly when I heard that some of your children are walking in the truth. And, and that might make us pause for a second, right? Some of your children are walking in the truth, which means what? Some are not. And he actually, he didn't even say, I, I rejoice that most of you are walking in the truth. Did he say that? I rejoice that 99% of you are walking in the truth. And there's, you know, there's one or two that are not. And, you know, they'll come around. But he says, uh, some of you are. And with that, I rejoice. There's the affection. Do you see it? You ever found yourself frustrated at a, another believer because they are not walking in the truth all the time? You ever find yourself frustrated with yourself that you're not walking in the truth all the time? All the time, 100% of the time. John's rejoicing just that some of them are walking in the truth some of the time. Hey, we have that going for us. We're walking in the truth some of the time, and I want to rejoice in that, okay? Don't take that away from me. I rejoice whenever we're walking according to the truth. Do you rejoice? Whenever other believers are walking in the truth, or are we so set on looking at the negative and the critical that no, we don't rejoice in the good, we only are critical of the bad. John wasn't like that, was he? He said, I rejoice when, when we're walking in the truth together, I'm going to rejoice in that. Maybe we should rejoice whenever we are walking in the truth, whenever fellow believers are walking in the truth. Are you rejoicing in that? Does it actually give you joy when other believers are walking in the truth? If it doesn't give you joy when other believers are walking in the truth, then your love and affection for them is not as great as John's love and affection was for other believers. And you have something yet to aspire to. Because it should be. Actually, the way you love other believers should be the way that Christ loves other believers. And so, you know, we're not there yet. It should be that whenever we find others walking in the truth, it gives us joy. Does it truly, genuinely give you joy? Because it's not anything to do with me. I'm not joyful because, oh, you're being generous and you decided to give me $100. 
I'm so good for you and your obedience, you know, and giving me money. No, that's, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with your obedience to Christ, and in that I rejoice. I'm a removed from the equation. I just, I'm glad to see that you're walking in the truth. Do you remember John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, John said something. He said this, By this we know that we have come to know him. Do you remember this? By this we know that we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is what? A liar. And the truth is not in him. So in other words, you're not walking in the truth. There's no truth to be found there. In other words, if you say, I know God, we know people like that, don't we? I know God, but they're doing absolutely nothing according to the commands of God. But you say you know God, and what this tells me is, no, you don't. You're not walking in the truth. And all of God's children should be walking according to the truth. And when they do, we rejoice. What does this word walk mean? Well, it means to walk. But what does it mean in this sense? It means, I, I would say it this way, an honest, inward disposition that evidences itself in the way that we behave, both in our thoughts and our actions. An honest inward disposition that evidences itself, both in our thoughts and in our behaviors, both the things that are internal and things that are external. That is our walk. That's when we're walking in something. This isn't the first time in the scriptures we find this language of walking. I have them on the screen for you. There's a bunch. So, uh, no longer walk in the darkness. These are to the negative. There's only three to the negative. No longer walk in the darkness. Don't do that. No longer walk according to the flesh. Don't do that. And we should not walk in idleness. Don't do that. But look at this list of positives. Walk in newness of life. Walk by the Spirit. Walk properly toward outsiders. Walk in love. Walk by faith. Walk in good works. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk as children of light. Walk in wisdom. Walk according to the example you have in us. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in Him. Walk in a manner worthy of God. And again, walk properly before outsiders. And there's another one in 1 John 2, 6 that says, walk in the same way in which He walked. That's the hardest one of all. Walk in the same way in which he walked. Who's that? Who's the he? Jesus. Behave both inwardly and externally, that is in your thought life and in your behavioral life. That is what you actually do. Behave like Jesus all the time. Just do that. Just walk like Jesus. An honest inward disposition that actually evidences itself. So the reason I say that is because when we walk in the truth, it's not just something tangible that you can see. It's not just something tangible that you can see, right? It's not just do things. It's not just come to church. Oh, I'm walking in the truth and everybody can see it. I'm at church this morning. Walk in the truth. Sing during when we're singing songs together. Okay, everybody can see that. It's kind of a tangible thing, right? Help people who are in need. That's, you know, something we can do. 
Read your Bible at home. Make sure you're praying. These are all things, external things that we're trying to do to walk in the truth. And is that all there is to it? No. So there has to be something different. There has to be something more to walking in the truth than just the external stuff, right? So it's an honest inward disposition that is simply evidencing itself externally. You see, there's something happening internally that produces these external results. But if all you have is the external results, those external results are empty because they're not flowing from an honest inward disposition according to the truth. You follow me in that? So we need to be careful that we're walking according to the truth, which is something that happens inwardly and expresses itself outwardly. It's a thought life thing, it's a behavioral life thing, and it's living according to the truth. Those who love God keep his commandments. This is something that he's telling us. Walk according to the commandments, and this is the commandment. Did you notice that in the wording? Anybody else get tripped up by that? Walk according to the commandments, plural, and this is the commandment, singular. Okay, so which is it? Are there many? Is there one? What's going on here? Um, Well, I think of it this way. Do you remember when we talked about the law of God and how there are two tables of the law? We're going back to the Ten Commandments here. There are two tables of the Ten Commandments. That is, one is toward God and the other is toward your neighbor. That is, there are some that that are all about God, right? But then there are others that are all externally how you relate to others. So there are two tables of the law, toward God and toward others. And Jesus comes along and rather than Uh, kind of listing everything, he summarizes the commands. This is found in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Listen to what he says. Listen to what Jesus says about the law and the commands of God. Teacher, someone, someone approaches Jesus, as we, I mean, we probably would. We say, listen, what is the greatest commandment in the law? I wanna know. I mean, you're the guy to tell me, right? I wanna do what's right, What should I do? And so here's Jesus' response to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That seems simple enough, doesn't it? This is the great and first commandment. That's the first table of the law, right? It's toward God. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Well, later Paul will tell us love is a fulfilling of the law, right? If you love God perfectly, you're, you're going to be uh, perfectly obedient to him. If you love your neighbor perfectly, you're not going to sin against them. So love is a fulfilling of the law. Owe no one anything except to love them. If we love God, then we will be concerned with relating to one another according to the truth. I'll say that again. If we love God, and do you love God? Are you the one that says, I know him? I love him, I promise I do. Then you will be concerned with relating to one another according to the truth in love. Because remember that truth and love have a reciprocal relationship. If you, if you were here last week, that's what we talked about, how truth and love relate to one another. And he says, some of you are, are doing this appropriately, but some of you are not. But I need you to know, we have a commandment from the Father, and we should be shaping our lives around it. So make sure you're doing this. This is what he's saying. And it's not something new. It's fundamentally part of the gospel. 
1 John 3.23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he commanded us. That is how John is summarizing the Christian life. Believe on Jesus Christ and love God's children. Have you heard that enough over these past 24 weeks now? Believe on Jesus and love God's children. And if you love God, you will love God's children. And how will you love them? According to the truth, not according to the way that you've designed or the way that you've made up. You don't love someone according to your love standards, no. You love someone, especially God's children. They're his children. If, if, uh, <laughs> if you have young children, if you've had young children, and you have the babysitter situation, okay? This ever comes up for you. Do you want your babysitter, whoever's watching, could be family members, could be whoever, I don't know, watching your children, and they have a different love standard than you. How does that make you feel? Not so good. I want you to care for my children the way that I would care for them. I, I want you to know that we have standards in place for our children, and just when I'm gone, I, I, I expect those standards to be upheld, right? Uh, what, what, if, what if they say loving your kids means they can eat whatever they find in your house? I feel that's the best way to love them. I feel the best way to love your children is to let them go to bed whenever they want to go to bed. I feel that's the best way to love them. Good or not good? We are caring for God's children, and guess what? He has a standard by which we are to love them. We don't get to decide how to love God's children. He has told us how to love God's children. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. Believe in Jesus Christ and love one another. Walking in the truth is believing in Jesus Christ. True. Walking in the truth is loving one another. True. So what is the point of the Christian life? Is it primarily something we believe or is it primarily something we do? Is Christianity about right beliefs or right behaviors? Well, there's a problem with the question, isn't there? Because you can't divide them. It's both. In fact, our right beliefs tell us how to behave. And if we don't have right beliefs, how do we know how to behave? So we must have both. We must have right beliefs so as to inform our right behavior. If you think you have right behavior, but you don't have the right beliefs, then you become what John has referred to here as the secessionist. Those who have left because they no longer believe correctly and it has transformed their behavior to be something that is not acceptable to the Lord. Because your beliefs inform your behaviors. And you all know this to be true. You believe what is wrong, you're going to act upon that and it's going to be incorrect behavior. So we must have correctly informed beliefs so as to act properly as God's children. But I think we know this. Listen to what James says. James 1.26. If anyone thinks he is religious, let me, let, me, let me get to the heart of what he's saying. If anyone thinks that he is a faithful follower of God, we have a different connotation with the word religion. If anyone thinks he is a faithful follower of God and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, 
that person's religion is worthless. And you might say, why? Isn't Christianity about having faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ and believing in the finished work of Jesus? Believing on Him wholly for our justification. Believing that He is the one who sanctifies us. He is the one that is going to bring us into glory. Isn't it just about what I believe? If you truly believed it, it would transform your behavior. And so you prove that you have not properly believed if your behavior does not line up with your beliefs. You don't actually believe it. Or you have believed incorrectly. And you are not walking according to the truth. Walking according to the truth involves both beliefs and behaviors. Those who believe in the gospel of truth will be continually transformed in their internal and external behaviors to conform to the truth. Do you experience that now in your life? Are you experiencing that? A continual process of transformation. I have to be continually transformed in the way that I think. I have to be continually transformed in the way I behave. Is this your life? Are you constantly just in this work of transformation? Or do you believe that the work of transformation is done, now you just got to ride out the time you have left on this miserable planet? Or are you at work being transformed, being renewed? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your life. Present your entire life as a sacrifice to God. That means what? You're giving it up. Here is my life, my entire life. I'm giving it up. I'm laying it on an altar. It's yours. Holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. That's what Paul says. And then he says, so do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you might discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you want to know what is good? Do you want to know what is acceptable? Do you want to know what is perfect? Do you want your life to be a sacrifice to God? Is that what you want? Then you will be transformed in your thought life and in your behaviors. If you are not currently in this process of the struggle, it's a struggle, isn't it? If the struggle of being transformed, this work is not happening right now. And, and let's just be honest, isn't this process a roller coaster in the Christian life? Do you have times when you're, you're at a low point and you say, listen, the work of transformation is just kind of at a standstill right now. I'm not feeling that so much. I'm feeling kind of worldly, and honestly, I just don't have it in me to put the effort into conformity to Christ. You probably don't word it that way because you would never say that or admit it, but that's how you're feeling. I just, I don't have it in me right now. But then, we have the opposite experience, don't we? I mean, we're at the top, and we think, I want nothing but to be transformed to Christ. Take it all. I don't want anything. You have my entire life, all my thoughts, all my behaviors, everything. It's yours. I want nothing to do with me and everything to do with you. And there is nothing that can stop you. You are all in until you're not anymore. And then you kind of come back down. And then you go back up again. And 
that's the roller coaster experience of the Christian life. But you know what? When you look back over time, you recognize that you've only ever been going uphill this entire time because Christ is the one sanctifying you. You are not sanctifying yourself. He will sanctify you. He has promised to do so. He will bring you into glory. He has promised to do so. But yes, the roller coaster experience is real. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you find yourself in that low place, trust in Christ and remember that your life is not your own, but you have been purchased. You are not living your life for your glory, but you should be living your life for God's glory. You are not your own. But sometimes we think that we are our own and we get to do whatever we want and then we get lost in that world, don't we? We are Christ, we belong to him, and so therefore we lay it all down and we say, what would you have me do with my life? And that's when we begin to be hungry, thirsty for the word, don't we? Walking in the truth necessarily means change, it means transformation. We are a people being transformed. I will say it again, none of us has arrived. None of us has been perfected yet. That's for the next life, that's for glory. But that's not here We're all in this process. By the way, never put any kind of spiritual leader up on a platform so as to think that they have arrived and you are, you know, trying to be like them. They will fall off that platform fast. And if your faith is wrapped up in a spiritual leader, then you will be disheartened, discouraged because you had faith in them and not in Christ. So don't displace your faith in another person, but put your, pl- your faith wholly in Christ. He is the one who will never fail you. He is the one who is without sin. Certainly not me. So ultimately, we can, we can summarize what has just been said for these first three, few verses, that the Father has commanded believers to walk in the truth. Do you see that? Pretty obviously. What is the last verse here say though to us see a lot of these themes have have come back to us haven't they we've talked a lot about these themes that have already been said and so if you haven't been with us up to this point understand i'm not i'm not just dropping everything there but we've been discussing these things for the last 20 something weeks but what is said in verse 7 is something new look at what it says It's not as though it's the first time he's talked about the Antichrist or deceivers, but it's said in a different light. Verse 7 says, For, for is an important word. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the Antichrist. For, what is that word for there for? For what? What does for mean? I want to make this command clear for the reason being, the reason I want to say this to you, the reason I'm reminding you of this commandment is this. There are many in this world attempting to deceive you. The reason I'm reminding you of these commands of God, the reason I'm reminding you to love one another, the reason I'm reminding you not to be conformed to the world is for this reason. There are many who will attempt to deceive you. And I want you to be aware of it. What is the deception they faced? 
Many of their issues seem to, by context, stem from a lack of love for others. Otherwise, why would he be bringing that up so often? If you're already doing a thing, why focus on what they're already doing? But if they were not doing the thing, maybe that's where we need to emphasize the issue. And what has he been emphasizing over and over and over and over again? Love one another. So therefore, it must have been an issue for them, don't you see? To love one another. There was something about loving one another that they were not going along with the gospel in this regard. They didn't quite get it. Something wasn't clicking there. There was an ultimate focus on the self. So here's the deception. I want to summarize it this way because it's a principle we can take with us. That you can go on disobeying God's commands and live a selfish life. Actually, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to say it again. You can go on disobeying God's commands and just live a selfish life. And to that we would say, well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's today's message. Go on disobeying God. Don't listen to anything he has to say. It doesn't matter. And just live your selfish life. And then one day when you die, he will redeem you, bring you into glory. That sound good? Well, to our flesh, that sounds fantastic. Because that's what we actually want. It is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. And you feel that pull, don't you? I, that's what I want with my life, to just live my life all for me. But I know that that's not what I want my life to be. But the deception is, your life is all about you. You don't need to pay attention to what God has said. The opponents, God's commands are real and Jesus is real. Remember, the opponents were saying this, those secessionists, those people who have left. They weren't denying that Jesus was real, remember. They weren't denying that the commands of God were false. They weren't denying, I mean, that's not what they were saying. What they were saying is this, the commands of God are not what you think they are. And Jesus is not who you think he is. That's what they're saying. That's the deception. The commands of God are not what you think they are. And Jesus is not who you think he is. Beliefs and behaviors. To turn life to be about you. In 1976, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called How Should We Then Live? the rise and decline of Western thought and culture. And in this book, he basically is saying, and this is my summary of, he's basically saying, what is the driving force and trajectory of the culture in which we live? Where does the culture come from? Where is it going? And where do we find ourselves? What is the driving force of the culture that we live in? He wrote it in 1976. And he summarized by saying this. It's a great book, by the way. Um, I recommend it to your reading if you like such a thing. He said, peace, personal peace, and affluence are the issue. Everyone seems to be in our secular culture striving after two things, personal peace and affluence. Affluence meaning prosperity of things, just having stuff. That's what everybody's on the search for. Those, just those two things. Personal peace, leave me alone to let me live my life without oppression and give me stuff. And that's the goal. That's the goal of life. 
to be undisturbed in the pattern of my life? And I just have a question, because right now I'm answering the question of, of, of what was the deception for them, the first century audience, and what might the deception be for us? Or do you think they're exactly the same? I believe there's a principle that's the same, but the way it comes out is a little different. The way it's at work in our current culture is different than the way that it was at work in their culture. And what John wants is for his audience to open their eyes to the deception that is around them. Why? Because the deception is pulling them away from walking in the truth. Are we a church that wants to be walking in the truth? So then, do we want to be aware of the deceptions that are found in our current culture because the current culture is trying to pull you in to say, walk like us and not like that. God is not who you think he is. Jesus is not who you think he is. The Bible is not what you think it is. Let me tell you what it is. And let me tell you where there is truth to be found. So let me tell you how you should be acting in this life. There is the deception Is there a pull on your thoughts and behaviors for personal peace and affluence? Just be honest with that question. Is there a pull, a tug on your heart and your mind? All I want is peace and to have the stuff that I want and need. Better stuff is better. Worse stuff is worse. Give me the good stuff. Just don't let my stuff break, you know. I like my stuff. And leave me alone. Leave me alone and let me have my stuff. That's the current culture that is not Christ. Christ is not calling you to a personal peace in this life. In fact, he is calling us as a people who are going to be light shining in a dark world. And what that necessarily means then is an uncomfortable life. Not comfort. Comfort is not the goal. Peace is not the goal. Personal peace is not the goal. I, I know that sometimes we want it to be the goal, and I feel that too. I, I just, world, leave me alone. Let me be. But that's not the goal of our life. That's not the goal of the Christian life, is it? The goal of the Christian life is to be a light shining in a dark place. And it makes the world uncomfortable. And it makes us uncomfortable about ourselves. And we don't like being that. But also, life is not about getting stuff. We love money. Can we just actually admit that? You find confidence in money, find peace in money, fulfillment in money. Money, just give me money and all is good. So we think for a while until we have it and then it's not good anymore. And then we have money and then we don't have money. And that's a roller coaster too. And so as our bank account goes, so goes our you know, emotional state. When I don't have money, um, I don't, you know, let me get it together. Not feeling so good. When I do have money and all is good, oh, I'm so happy because everything is good. What this is underlying is us experiencing what the world is experiencing and being deceived into thinking that life is all about personal peace and prosperity. 
when in reality that's not the case. Is that the way our culture still operates? I mean, that was written in 1976, after all. Um, Carl Truman has written a book called Strange New World. I would also recommend it to your reading. The reason I'm referencing these two works is because these are evangelical Christian theologians and philosophers looking at the culture that we live in and trying to understand it for what it is, trying to get at the heartbeat of the secular culture and how it might be infiltrating into the Christian culture because we ought to be careful to not allow these things into our thought life and behavior. But he said this, individuals and their own desires are placed at the center of the moral universe. And he calls this expressive individualism. Here's what he says. I'm just going to read a couple of lines here. It's a quote. If we are above all what we think, what we feel, what we desire, then anything that interferes or obstructs with those thoughts, feelings, or desires inhibits us as people. It prevents us from being the self that we are convinced that we are. In other words, the culture all around you has this idea of an expressive individualism saying, be the self that you feel that you are. And if anyone gets in the way of you expressing and being the self that you feel you are, they are oppressing you. So just live your life to its truest and fullest expression, however you understand it to be. Because you are you and you need to express yourself fully. You can go on disobeying God's commands and living a selfish life. Do you think that this thought in any way has infiltrated into the Christian culture? Absolutely it has. There is no God who gave commandments. Life is all about you. The only bad thing you can do actually is get in the way of letting others be who they want to be. That's the ultimate evil in our culture. So the deception is the truth that you must conform to is the truth that best suits you and your own personal preferences. Is this what it is to walk according to the truth? What truth? What is truth? What truth are we to conform to? What truth are we to live in? What truth are we to walk in? Whose truth? There is the truth that we are to walk in. And we need to be careful that we are not caving in to a new definition of truth, but rather something that is objective and something that is real and something that is from God himself. But to walk in the truth is very real for this world that we live in. Because if you were to say to someone that you find wherever is not a believer and you say, walk in the truth, they'd say, all right, I'm with you. Walk in the truth. Let's do it. That's all any of us should do. Walk in the truth. I'm with you. What they mean and what you mean are very different things. We mean walk in the light of God's truth. What they mean is walk in the truth that you create for yourself and live it till it's full. Do you see that definitions matter? We are also a very consumer-driven culture. And we've been trained to be constantly in pursuit of that which most satisfies us. Do you find yourself constantly in pursuit of that which most satisfies you? 
Is that walking according to the truth of the gospel? Live your life according to what most satisfies you, and that's what God requires of you. Or is your life to be a sacrifice, actually a giving up of yourself so that you might pursue the things that most satisfy him? It's very different. It's an upside-down world. Are you being careful not to believe like the upside-down world? I want to uh, end here our time together in the Word just by looking at one... uh, in a sense, type of commentary on what we've been looking at. So if you would, just, just for a moment, turn to James chapter 1 with me. That's where I'd like to end. James chapter 1. Let's look at that. James 1, let's begin in verse 9. Just look at it with me. This is good. This is, James, remember, is just very, very practical, isn't he? James, wisdom, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Here is wisdom. Are you ready for it? Here is Christian wisdom. You want to know how to apply these things? You want to know how to be careful with your life? If you want to know, as Jimmy said, to make the best use of your time because the days are evil, that's true. What is the point of the Christian life? In the days you have left on this planet, what should you be careful of? What should you be doing with your life? Well, here are some things. In light of how our culture all around us is attempting to continually make you into something that you should not be, let's keep this in mind. James 1, beginning in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Stop already the lowly the lowly in what way the poor the one who doesn't have much does our culture say let the one who doesn't have much boast in all that he has in christ no our culture says let the one who is lowly try to get more pursue what you should pursue and get stuff get money get possessions and then boast in that All right, I won't stop at every one of these. And, and the rich in, this, in, in his humiliation, I, I, let, let me at least make the opposite comment. Does our culture say, let the rich boast in the fact that in actuality he has nothing because everything that he has is God's? Let him be humble. Is that what our culture says? No. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. We're reminded of our humanity. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, it withers with the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Is that a great reminder to us? That our pursuits after monetary gain are all, what, what is it for? But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. All of a sudden, it switches completely to where we're thinking all about this life and what most satisfies me and having personal possessions to you're not even thinking in the right realm. You're thinking about yourself and your stuff and your person. 
you should be thinking about Christ. You should be thinking about faithfulness. You should be thinking about what you're going to do when temptation to sin comes knocking on your door, but you're consumed with thinking about how you're going to make money. You're consumed with thinking about your physical health. You're consumed with thinking about all these other things when in reality you should be focusing all your attention on what am I going to do when sin knocks at the door? Am I going to be faithful? Our attention is is shifted on something else entirely. And we have to be careful to not let our attention shift. But it says, I said I wasn't going to stop so much. Maybe I'll stay true to that, I don't know. So, So blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That's far better, isn't it? Which God has promised to those who love him. Remember that there is something coming that you don't have to work for. Christ already worked for it. You have everything coming to you in the next life and you didn't earn it. You can't earn it. God earned it for you. Is that comfort to your soul? It should be. Everything, everything is coming to you. You don't even have to try to earn it. It's already yours. Just be faithful. Be faithful. But he says for Uh, when when temptation comes, let no one say, I'm being tempted by God, and you blame God. God is the problem. God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself, he tempts no one. But each person is tempted, listen, when he is lured and enticed by what? Your own desire. That is what is leading you into sin. So in other words, what you're saying is, well, it can't, I mean, I can't be the problem. There's no way that I'm the problem. It's something else outside is pressing in on me and want to blame that. Do you, in your life, tend to place blame outside of yourself? Well, the reason I feel this way is because, well, everything would be fine except for, and everything is working against you, and you blame everything but your own personal desire to sin. I'm the problem, actually. I, let me stop blaming all this external stuff. I, I'm the problem. My heart is the problem. And when desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it, gives, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a, first, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, he's bringing it home. Let every person, here's what we do, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man. He looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself. He goes away. He forgets what he was like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what is he bringing together here? The fact that we can very easily deceive ourselves in this world. 
You don't need to be a hearer of the word only. Do we need to hear? Do we need to hear the word? Do we need to know the word? Yes. Is that all there is to the Christian life, a set of beliefs? Or is it a set of beliefs that informs our behavior? I hope it came around full circle for you. What is the Christian life? A set of beliefs that informs our behavior and so we are concerned with what we believe. Yes? Because it informs our behavior. And why are we concerned with our behavior? Because our life is a sacrifice to our God who has redeemed us. Our life is not our own. We live it to his glory. Let's pray.